Good intentions are not enough. Pro-lifers need good arguments too. We should avoid the temptation to make these popular, emotionally compelling, but badly reasoned arguments against abortion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and that opening quote is by the one and only Francis Beckwith. Francis Beckwith, I don't know if we've mentioned him on the podcast before, but we've certainly learned a lot from his writings, and I'm sure many of the things that we've talked about on the podcast uh, have been come either directly or indirectly from him as well. Um, but that's the opening quote, is, is good intentions are not enough, but we need some really good arguments as well. Now, you might say this is something you guys talk about all the time. Yes, it is. But this episode is going to be different, and I can't wait to share with you how. Like I said, my name is Peter, and with me again on the other side of the screen or right beside me, if you're watching on YouTube, is my good friend and wonderful co-host, Cameron. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. Thank you, Peter. It is good to be back in the office. Had a couple of days off here, kind of recovering from the summer. Not actually recovering, but uh, we had some <laughs> uh, some downtime with the fam jam over the last couple of days, which so could be back in the office. And um, yeah, it's good to be back. How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Also really good to uh, to be here, to be sitting down again. I'm thinking about the conversation we had last week, probably one of the best ones uh, that I can think of are the most insightful and enlightening and just awesome episodes that we've had uh, on the podcast so far with Monica Kelsey. Go so go, Oh boy. So go check that one out uh, if you haven't done so already. If you're new to the podcast, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children in Canada. And this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and to save lives. And as my shirt says, to transform culture. Cam, talk about these shirts. These shirts are fantastic. Huge shout out to a couple of people who helped us design them. Uh, Maddie and his contact, Nick and Attila, who helped us design them. We've been touting the Patreon gig for a long time. And and I'm, I'm sure that it has become a little bit tiresome as you've been checking back constantly on our Patreon page and there's nothing really there. We've finally gotten all of our stuff and you've seen Peter's shirt. You've seen my shirt. Um, if you're less inclined to have a very explicitly pro-life shirt on. Um, there are some settings that I, I can absolutely appreciate that. If you want to just be able to rep the pro-life guys movement, you can have shirts like this. We've got water bottles. We've got coffee, um, travel mugs. Peter's got a, a porcelain mug, or I don't know if that's porcelain, but a glass mug, faces. <laughs> um, We've got the, the pro-life guys on the other side of that. Why are we doing this? Why do we want to have merch? Why do we want to develop our Patreon presence? A couple of reasons, and I um, hope that this makes sense to everybody, but we want to have the merch for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, we want to be able to bring the movement together. We're not necessarily trying to craft a flag or, or a, um, a completely unique bumper sticker or something to try to bring everyone together, but we get there's a lot of pro-life people out there that want to express their pro-life beliefs and their support of the pro-life movement. We want to be able to offer something that would draw people further into the pro-life guys community. Not only that, but we also want to help engage our culture. And as the, the t-shirt that Peter has, it's a great conversation starter, whether you're at the supermarket or at the gym or whatever it may be, we want to help you have these conversations about abortion. Obviously, there's incentive for us as well. Um, Peter, you and I, as with everyone who works for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, the group that we work with, CCBR, um, 
We all fundraise our salaries. All of the projects that we do, all of the initiatives that we do, including this podcast, is all supported through the generous support of generous donors and people buying merchandise like this. The markup on the products, all of that, all of those proceeds go towards um, furthering the pro-life cause, putting boots on the ground, um, and getting more and more stuff on street corners and on door, um, doorsteps, materials, whatever it may be, training programs for college kids and, and university students and whatever it may be. And so you are helping fuel the movement. You are repping the movement as you go out. And just a note about Patreon. We've been talking about Patreon forever. It is going to be updated this coming week. Peter, you you made that promise to me before we started recording. I don't know if we need to put it on air or anything. We're going to update the Patreon <laughs> to better reflect um, how we want to appreciate you, our supporters. We already have a couple different supporters. We are going to have special announcements for the first 20 people who join our Patreon support team. Why do we want Patreon? It's not just because it's going into the big melting pot of all of the other donations that come in so that we can get more interns and more other people, though at times it will go towards that. What we're fundraising towards right now is being able to bring Maddie Halleck, our incredible producer, on with more hours. So right now he works in our Manitoba office leading volunteers out in Manitoba. And he does a phenomenal job of that. But he's also very, very good, as you have come to learn and love through this program. He's very good at not only mashing together the audio, but also the video components of the show. And we want to be able to up the number of hours that he's able to dedicate towards working for the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And so we are hoping to put together $1,000 a month, which sounds crazy, I know. Um, but through people doing whatever makes sense for them, whether that's 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, who knows? Maybe you're in a position to, to um, support at the $1,000 a month level. We do have that on Patreon. If you support at $1,000 a month, Peter and I will personally come to your birthday party or whatever other event you want us to attend, um, so long as it's legal and moral. Um, but we can talk <laughs> about that. Um, please do check out our Patreon um, page and and consider signing up as i mentioned we will have a live stream where we're announcing a few of the perks that are also going to come along with being one of the founding members of our patreon support team the first 20 people who sign up and so stay tuned for that that's a quick update on patreon peter what do we need to know about this show and let's dive into it yeah uh, thank you thank you so much for that um, there's also going to be i just want to highlight some courses that we're going to be offering as well um, I'll leave that there, leave that hanging, uh, but I'm sure more details are going to be coming soon. All right, so the title of the program is don't use these pro-life arguments or don't use these bad pro-life arguments or maybe we'll think of a new title by the time this actually gets released, but that's the sort of gist of what we're getting at. Now, one of the goals that we have on this podcast, which we talk about all the time, is giving you good apologetics, equipping you with conversational tools and tactics that you can use in the conversations that you have wherever they might be, at work, at school, on the streets. Uh, we have some activists that uh, are listening to the program, but we also have some, you know, some, some regular folks, as it were, people with just, you know, jobs and families and, and all of that. Um, not that pro-lifers don't have jobs and families or activists, but all that to say, we want to give you the tools that you uh, can use to actually have the really good, effective, and winsome conversations. Now, in the course of the time, Cam, that you and I have been doing pro-life work, we've heard some extremely excellent arguments. Uh, but on the flip side, we've also heard some arguments that don't actually help that much that are, you know, they might sound compelling uh, when we say them, but they're not sort of 
coherently well-reasoned arguments against abortion as a whole. And so what we're going to do is highlight three of those today and just share with you why we don't think those are good arguments you can use. And at the end, we'll, we'll quickly highlight once again the arguments and the tactics that we use. Now, if you're here and you have uh, talked to people about abortion before and you hear the argument, uh, we, we're, we're going to talk about an argument today that is, and it's an argument that you've used many times. We're not doing this episode to make you feel bad. We're not doing this episode to sort of like condemn the work that you've done in the past. These arguments all have a good element of truth to them. And so you've still been communicating truth to the people that you've been talking to. But we do want to highlight how you can get better at your, apolog at your apologetics, how you can have better conversations and dialogues with people who identify as either pro-abortion or pro-choice. And so uh, we're going to dive right in. Before I do that, uh, some of the content that we're working with has come from Francis Beckwith. The opening quote was also from him. Uh, and it's an article that he wrote on the public discourse. He's got some books as well that we've referenced before. Uh, but I just want to mention that some of the content is coming from him. So let me dive into the first one. Number one, we are dead when the heart stops beating, which means that we are alive when the heart stops beating. Cam, I don't know about you. I've seen this on banners, on stickers, on t-shirts, on roadside signs. Uh, just this slogan, um, abortion stops a beating heart. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that slogan is used to defend the pro-life position and condemn abortion because it ends the life of a child because it stops the beating heart of a young growing human being. Now, the, the argument here is, is because we're dead when our hearts stop, we're alive when it starts. Um, now, one could argue that we are actually dead when our brain stops uh, or our brain dies and therefore we should be alive when it starts. But, but let's start actually talk, Cam, about when we exist because I think it's important to note that our, just because we have a heartbeat, that does not mean that that is the moment that we began to exist. Am I right? Absolutely. And, and I think that this is important to recognize because abortion doesn't always stop a beating heart. I think that, that as you mentioned off the top, there, there is an element of truth to this. And I have a profound amount of respect for people who incorporate this into a more complete argument because it does do a very good job of humanizing many children prior to birth um, or, or all children prior to birth after they've um, started um, that, that stage of development in which they do have a beating heart. However, as we talk about, there are multiple different ways that we can show that human life begins at the moment of fertilization. Biologically, it begins at fertilization and you don't have a beating heart especially depending on how you want to define a beating heart until long after fertilization. What do I mean by that? Well, scientists and, and studies have shown that um, that developing child, that, that human being, has an independent pulse around 18 to 21 days after fertilization. Independent pulse, even that is difficult to characterize as a heartbeat in that there isn't a four-chambered heart present. That is probably several weeks, if not a month or two down the road beyond that. Um, However, Peter, you and I often have this very good question that starts to demonstrate the fact that even before the heartbeat or an independent pulse is present, we have life. And it's a simple question asking if something is growing, even from one cell to two cells to four cells, isn't it alive? Yes, living organisms 
can be living without heartbeats. And so human beings can be living without heartbeats. Human beings exhibit growth from the moment of fertilization. Therefore, we can know that they're exhibiting life or, or characteristic signs of life from that moment of fertilization long before the heart is present and the heartbeat is present. Not only that, but this is corroborated by um, professional biologists and embryologists, the, the um, quotation, Peter, that you and I often use, it's featured not only in our postcards, but in the pamphlets that we use at Choice Chain and various other projects where we're showing the truth about abortion um, and, and having these conversations. It's taken from um, a textbook that is used to my best of my understanding. Um, it has for a long time been used at the medical um, school at the University of British Columbia. I believe that it's used at several other Canadian medical schools, not to mention medical schools in the States. It's not a Christian textbook. It's not written by some Catholic monk or something like that. It's written by expert biologists. And literally the first sentence of the first chapter states, and I quote, human development begins at fertilization when a sperm fuses with an oocyte to form a single cell, the zygote goes on to say, this marks the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out as well. There's a, a website that I, I very deeply support called abort73.com. They have an entire webpage dedicated towards biological references from all sorts of different biology textbooks from the, the high school level to the university level to expert reports and, and whatnot. Dr. Maureen Kondik, um, I believe at the University of Colorado or possibly at University of Utah, um, has done very, very clear work on this as well. Human life begins at fertilization. And therefore, I think that this argument is incomplete. I don't think that it's incorrect in that abortion very often does end um, or, or stop a beating heart because the majority of abortions are performed after an independent pulse has been detected. But obviously that doesn't speak to um, the morning after pill or other forms of abortifacient um, birth control in which the child is killed long before there's a beating heart. And so I would encourage people to use those four questions of the human rights argument, Peter, that you and I have talked about on, on countless occasions, I'm sure now, starting with, could we agree that all humans should get human rights? That second question that I've already mentioned, if something is growing, even from one cell to two cells to four cells, isn't alive? Third question, if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human as well? And fourth and finally, doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? That's how I would navigate the question about abortion killing humans. I think that there's merit to it. I think that we can do better than just saying abortion stops beating heart, though. Make sense? Anything you want to add? Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I think there's one thing I would add, and that is that if this argument is used, I, th I think we either are making one of two points. The one point is that we think that before there's a heartbeat, abortion procedures are okay. And so before, whether it be the 21 days, 18 days, or whether there's, as you mentioned, the actually sort of formed discernible heart uh, that, is, that is beating, be that a month later or wherever that is, that we would say abortion is okay before that. Or what we need to do is we need to make another argument after the abortion stops a beating heart argument to argue that abortion um, that ends the life of children who don't yet have a beating heart is also wrong. And so the human rights argument that you highlighted there, Cam, really, I mean, it kind of cuts through the weeds uh, and, it, you know, it makes us not have to argue based on development. You know, first we do the, the third trimester argument, then the 
a beating heart argument and then the fertilization argument. But this gets to all human beings should get the human right to not be killed. And preborn children are growing, developing, uh, and unique human beings who ought to deserve that right. And so thank you so much for that. Uh, that is really good. We are going to highlight the human rights argument towards the end again as well. I'm sure it's going to come up, Cam, as, as we talk about this more often. But this is, as we've talked about before, one of the key arguments that we do use on the streets. Argument number two, and this is something I've heard before as well, and it goes like this. But what if you're aborting the next Einstein or the next Beethoven or the next genius or the next person who's going to cure the coronavirus or some other major disease that's going to come around in 2050 or whenever it's going to come around? Like, aren't you, at, aren't you risking aborting that child? Now, there are variations of the argument, Cam, um, and uh, while we usually hear it's something along those lines, it sort of comes from a sort of a, a deeper place that uh, Garrett Hardin once noted. And this is, this is what he says about this argument. I'll present it here. Two, two physicians, he writes, are talking shop. Doctor, says one, I'd like your professional opinion. The question is, should the pregnancy have been terminated or not? The father was syphilitic. The mother was tubercul tuberculosis. They already had four children. The first was blind. The second died. The third was deaf and dumb. And the fourth was tuberculosis. The woman was pregnant for the fifth time. As the attending physician, what would you have done? That was the question. And the answer was, I would have terminated the pregnancy, said the doctor. And the first doctor comes back and says, then you would have murdered Beethoven. And that's the argument. I, I don't know much about Beethoven's family, uh, but that seems to be it. Cam, I mean, while it's true that a, a phenomenal scientist could uh, have died or someone who would go on to do great things actually put a civilization on Mars or prevented coronavirus uh, 19 before it actually came into existence or provided any number of solutions, while this could be true and while perhaps we have uh, aborted children, well, most certainly have aborted children who were set to be geniuses. Why is this not a good argument that we can make or should make? Yeah, again, I, it, it's an incomplete argument that, that what people are trying to convey is that there's possibility, there's potency with every individual, that we can't condemn people to death before we know what they're going to contribute. And I think that there's some degree of beauty in that, recognizing that regardless of whether um, your, your older siblings have had physical or mental disabilities, regardless of whether you're living in poverty or squalor, regardless of, of who your parents are, you can contribute to the world. And I think that there's beauty in that sentiment. And, and we hear this often. I know that there's a huge spike in this around the Tim Tebow um, Super Bowl ads and whatnot, suggesting that um, if Tim Tebow's mother had taken the, the advice of doctors, he would have been aborted, or Andrea Bocelli, or Justin Bieber even. Um, I won't get into too much commentary about how utilitarian their lives have been, but that's ultimately what we're taking. We're taking a very utilitarian stance on why abortion is wrong, because we're saying that it is robbing the world of contribution, material contribution, um, and that is inappropriate, that humans are valuable because of what they contribute. And I think that we're, we're, you could split hairs on this and saying that there is an argument to potency in which um, I, I know that the Equal Rights Institute has talked about a future like ours sort of thing, that, that 
We shouldn't be condemning people because of bad situations, because flourishment can happen at any point. But I think the point, Peter, that you and I want to make is that our lives aren't less valuable if we flourish less, or even if we were to go on to um, commit terrible crimes, right? I mean, the, the counter argument that would be very easy would be if Hitler had been aborted, we would have saved the lives of 6 million Jews. And I think that obviously we want to save the lives of as many people as possible, but we can't achieve that through killing people, especially killing innocent people who have demonstrated no wrongdoing, right? The idea of going back in time to kill Hitler before he ever did anything wrong is a very flawed premise, right? Not only is time travel impossible at, at this point, um, to my knowledge, however, even if it were possible, it, it begs a question that I think um, will will probably um, show my age here. Tom Cruise was in a, a movie called The Minority Report in which they were trying to punish criminals before they committed any crime. And that's not the solution. You can't kill people before they've committed any crime. But at the end of the day, that too gets away from the argument. The argument, Peter, that you and I are trying to present is that all humans get human rights basic fundamental human rights, including the right to not be killed as an innocent human, regardless of how much we have, are currently, or will ever contribute towards society in a material sense, in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense. Our value is not dependent on our contribution. Our value is dependent on the fact that we are human beings. Peter, you and I know that's because we're made in the image and likeness of God, and that he has ordained us with this incredible dignity and value. And that's something that we can demonstrate even without the religious language of, of dignity and inherent value and that sort of thing, that, that we can talk simply about whether or not all humans should get human rights, as I alluded to in that human rights argument previously. And so this, again, does speak in part to a very, very beautiful component of the pro-life worldview as we recognize that there is flourishing within all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different circumstances that to say that this child is hopeless or whatever is, is terrible. However, it also misses the point that even if that child, even if we could guarantee that that child was going to live a terrible life full of immense suffering, that doesn't make them any less worthy, any less valuable, any less deserving of fundamental human rights to not be killed as an innocent human. That's where I think we need to go with our conversation. And as you mentioned, Peter, we'll talk about how exactly we're going to do that towards the end of the, the conversation you and I are having. Yeah, that's spot on, sir. We, we don't get human rights because of what we may or may not do, as you've highlighted. And just to reiterate, uh, it's because we are equally human and equally innocent. So we get human rights based inherently on who we are. Uh, and that is human beings deserving of that respect. Thank you, sir. And with that, we go to the third argument and it goes like something like this. So you shouldn't get an abortion because of the regret or pain that it will cause. Now, Cam, the argument I've heard before that abortion has negative side effects. You'll experience regret and or emotional pain and or mental health challenges or perhaps even health challenges because of the decision you made. Therefore, you should not have an abortion. Now, as we talked about on the top of the show, there's truth to this sort of uh, argumentation. There's truth to what's being communicated here. Project Rachel conducted what they called a rigorous analysis uh, and found that there are many psychological impacts that come directly from having an abortion. 
And they talk about them, citing studies published in the British Journal of Psychiatry. Project Rachel found that it found the following. Women who have had an abortion have an 81% higher risk of subsequent mental health problems compared to women who have not had an abortion. Women who, ha who aborted have a 138% higher risk of mental health problems compared to women who have given birth. Women who aborted have a 55% higher risk of mental health problems compared to women with an unplanned pregnancy who gave birth. And women with a history of abortion have higher rates of anxiety, 34% higher, depression, 37% higher, alcohol use or misuse, 110% higher, marijuana use, 230% higher, and suicidal behavior, 155% higher, all compared to those who have not had an abortion. Heartbeat International Cam talks about this as well, how uh, they talk about uh, post-abortion syndrome, which includes symptoms such as depression, grief, anxiety, helplessness, despair, sorrow, lower self-esteem, distrust, hostility, hostility, dependency on alcohol, chemicals, food, or work, and so on and so on. It's a long list. I got about a third of the way through. And so we could talk about this. I mean, people have argued the the, the stats and argued some of those, but the fact that people have talked about abortion, uh, post-abortion syndrome and that anecdotal evidence certainly would indicate that at least some women have experienced some of these things after having an abortion. Now, Cam, there's, there's several reasons we shouldn't use this. One of them, perhaps, and I'll highlight this here, is that we could just have a stat war or a, my expert says this, your expert says that. So I could come up with Project, Ra Project Rachel and uh, Heartbeat International, and I could talk about Randy Elkhorn's findings in his book, and David Reardon did some studies uh, some time ago as well. But in contrast, people could bring up the Guttmacher Institute, uh, which points, which is Planned Parenthood's research arm, or the research arm of Planned Parenthood, and they point to several study, studies um, that those who had an abortion or terminated a pregnancy, as they write, and I quote, were no more likely to have psychological problems two years later than those who had not been pregnant or had gone on to give birth. In fact, they experienced less negative psychological change than the others, end quote. And so what they insinuate here is that having an abortion might actually be helpful in alleviating or perhaps avoiding negative psychological change and avoid negative psychological change that could happen when you give birth to a child. And so there could be, uh, not considering the child, a net positive effect on having an abortion for the mental health of the child. So you could have this sort of this sort of expert war where my expert says this, your expert says that. But Kim, could you highlight for us why this is an argument that we probably shouldn't embrace as our central argument when we're, when we're talking to people about abortion? Yeah, and I'm glad that you made that clarification, not as a central component of our argumentation, because again, I see tremendous value in this argument, particularly in jarring mothers away from maybe a, a track that they're on towards abortion, right? That that when mothers are can be terrified and overwhelmed by the prospect of how drastically their life is going to be changed by this child, by this pregnancy that they're um, experiencing, they are... And it's difficult to blame them, very focused on their own life. They're looking at their own schooling, their own careers, their own hopes and dreams and everything that they have set. And at times, it can be meaningful and productive to bring forward this argument to challenge the pro-con list at the very least within their own life, right? There, there is 
cons on having abortions when it comes to the mother's health. And and you mentioned a lot of the, the mental health stuff. There's obviously been I'm not going to dive into it in detail on this episode, but there's there's been a massive causal link between abortion and breast cancer and other hormonal cancers and whatnot. Um, but like you said, at the end of the day, in a, a purely logical sense, even if abortion was physically positive for mothers, even if it actually made them healthier to have an abortion, whether it's for mental health, emotional health, physical health, whatever it may be, Abortion is still wrong because abortion directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being. And so to suggest that abortion is wrong because it harms mothers, abortion is wrong because it kills children. And because it kills children, it also harms mothers, both in a psychological, emotional sense and in a physical, um, physiological sense as well. And so... I think that needs to be the core of our conversation, like you mentioned. This needs to be the the beginning and ultimately the end of many of our conversations. It needs to be focused around the fact that regardless of whether a mother is slightly more or less healthy, whether she is at higher risk or lower risk for mental health or other physiological health components, abortion is still wrong because it directly and intentionally kills a child. However, as I mentioned, and and not to beat a dead horse, there is and can be tremendous value in in sharing this side of the argument, just like the previous arguments, right? To share the humanity of preborn children by saying that that eight-week child has a beating heart, has fingerprints, has developed organs, has eyelashes. Yes, that's not the substance of your argument, but it can be incredibly powerful because we are humans and humans have both that that kind of very very academic but also very emotional approach to making our decisions that's a gift that we have received to be able to integrate both emotional inclinations along with academic information and so there's value in sharing the fact that abortion very often um, stops beating hard because that humanizes the victim. There is value in talking about the contributions that all sorts of people make, and it's not just us in the West who are contributing to society. Similarly, this can be a component of your argument, especially to get people to stop and think a little bit more. However, it's not substantial and it's not sufficient in itself because it does not speak to whether or not abortion kills a human being. You, you mentioned, Peter, that, that the stat war can go on, the anecdotes can go back and forth. If, if I share, well, well, my somebody that I went to high school with was completely depressed for five years after her abortion. Somebody can just throw back at me, well, I had an abortion. It was the best decision of my life. Um, and my best friend had her baby and it's been terrible and, and her kids are so difficult and all this kind of stuff. You, you can get into both a stats war, but also an anecdote war let's get into the substance of the conversation of whether or not abortion kills innocent human beings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's key. Like you said, it could serve these arguments could serve for deeper reflection, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Now, when we're having a conversation, let's, let's briefly highlight cam some of the tactics that we use when we're in conversations, people will often start with some sort of circumstance or present a circumstance uh, that they think justifies abortion. And what we want to do is not build a wall between us, but build a bridge. We can actually understand each other. We can get on the same page and we can have a meaningful conversation. And the way we do that is threefold, three conversational tactics that I'm going to share with you. If this is your first time on the podcast, write them down. If you've heard these before, maybe write them down as well, because they're really helpful 
And uh, if you embody them in your conversations, uh, you will be amazed at the change that your conversations uh, will be able to produce. The first one we want to do, we want to create common ground. We want to recognize that the circumstance that they bring up actually happens to be a difficult circumstance. If someone says that abortion should be should be justified in the case where someone has no financial security, we can agree that being pregnant with no money, with no financial security, perhaps with no community to fall back on in hard times has got to be extremely difficult. Never mind just the difficulty of being pregnant where all your other circumstances are great. There are lots of changes um, you know, that, that women and mothers experience when they're pregnant. And so just recognizing that, finding common ground, showing the people we're talking to that what we don't just care about preborn children, but we care for them as well, that we're human, um, you know, and, and do have concerns for them and, and want to recognize them. Second point we use is an analogy, an analogy. It's where we do what we call trot out the toddler or trot out the teenager or uh, what were some of the other ones, Cam? Um, introduce the infant. Or, introduce or the infant. <laughs> That's right. Adjust to the adolescent or, or whatever you want to use. The reason we do this is because most of us haven't actually come in contact with a preborn child. Uh, we've seen images, perhaps we've seen ultrasounds or embryoscopy photos, but we haven't actually come face to face with a preborn child. And so because we're not confronted by them on a daily basis or a weekly basis or any sort of consistent basis, we, we have a hard time thinking about preborn children. And so we trot out the toddler when we put a toddler in that very same circumstance. So we, we say something like, let's say a mother's pregnant and everything was really went really well in the pregnancy. She had the financial security. She gave birth to, to the child and about six months later, everything in her life fell apart. She lost her partner or her spouse. Uh, her financial income left because she lost her job and um, the, her whatever, her mortgage, uh, the, the bank foreclosed on her house and took her house and she has no financial security at this point. Should she be allowed, we get to the third point is the question, should she be allowed to end the life of her child now? And the answer that I've received every single time is no. This child's born, this child's six months old. I know there's a difficult circumstance, but we should not be allowed to kill this child. And so we get to the follow-up question, and that is if we shouldn't be allowed to end the life of a six-month-old child because the mother is in difficult financial straits, why should we be allowed to end the life of the very same child for the very same reason before birth? And those are the three questions. Now, sometimes though, Cam, uh, people... now. I generally get two responses here, two sort of main responses. They're often others as well, but two main responses. One is people are blown away. They can't believe they haven't thought about this before and they take a moment to think about it and you have a really good conversation and they end up being pro-life. But sometimes they'll come back and say, but they're not human. And this is where we get to the human rights argument. Could you highlight that, my good friend? Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, the human rights argument is kind of the whether you want to call it the get out of jail free card, whether you want to call it the um, the Trump card or whatever, I know that the Trump card probably you probably can't say that anymore in polite company or whatever. But human rights argument, as I mentioned, is four questions. First, um, you start off, you lay the foundation. Can we agree that all humans should get human rights? Second question: If something is growing, even from one cell to two cell to four cell, isn't it alive? Third question: If that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human as well? And fourth and finally, does not make abortion a human rights violation. Lays the foundation that all humans um, get human rights, most particularly the human right to not be killed as an innocent human, 
and it demonstrates the scientific knowledge that we have accumulated um, that demonstrates that human life begins at fertilization by pointing towards arguably one of the easiest indicators of life, which is growth. Right? And so I, I think this can be incredibly helpful to orient the conversation around whether or not preborn children are indeed living humans and whether or not all living humans should get human rights. Exactly what we want to talk about. Yeah, that's that's key. And so as we conclude this episode, I do want to highlight one thing. We're not really sure at this point if episodes like this where we talk about bad pro-life arguments or not the best pro-life arguments uh, we're not sure if this is going to be a one-off episode or if we're going to have other episodes like this as well. But what we really want to highlight here, what we really want to sort of to bring home is that regardless of what uh, argument you hear, maybe you you hear arguments that you think are good or not sure about um, that we've never talked about on the podcast before, we want you to ask that question. Is this argument actually getting to the heart of the debate? Is it getting to the sort of the question who are preborn children because uh and all preborn children the the heartbeat you know heartbeat starts the abortion stops a beating heart argument is is true abortion sometimes does stop a beating heart but is it getting to the heart of the matter who are preborn children and what is abortion doing to all preborn children and the answer is it's not and so we need to find that argument we believe the human rights argument with the conversational tools of common ground analogy question are particularly helpful in that respect and really get to the point. But have that sort of framework in your mind as you're listening to arguments, as you're hearing people present arguments. Is this getting to the heart of the matter or is this sort of a, a partial argument that I'm going to have to build on later and later and later because it doesn't really get the entire picture, doesn't go all the way. And uh, so that's how we want you to think as you're listening to arguments. If you have any questions about that, maybe you have an argument in your mind and you're thinking, I wish they talked about it, but they didn't. So I'm going to email them, which is great because we love receiving your emails. You can contact us through our website, prolifeguys.com. That's www.prolifeguys.com. You can also send us messages on the, our social media platforms, be that they're not our social media platforms, but we have pages there, <laughs> uh, be it Twitter or Facebook. Uh, I wish I could say Instagram, but I have not been able to get our Instagram account back up and running, which means I'm going to be starting a new one. Sorry, Instagram, not sorry. Uh, so hopefully soon you'll be able to uh, connect to us there. But hit us up with your questions, your comments, your concerns, um, whatever it is you want to reach out to us for. We love we love hearing from you. Uh, Cam, any final thoughts before we finally wrap this up? Yeah, I, I think that one last thing, and, and Peter, you did a great job of of laying this out throughout the this episode but also especially at the beginning of just being charitable towards um incomplete pro-life arguments right. and understanding that the people using them you may not have seen the entire context of their argumentation right i i think we need to give people the benefit of the doubt ask good questions but also don't condemn people condemn bad arguments or incomplete arguments or weak arguments that sort of thing that just because somebody's using an argument does mean that they're a bad pro-lifer, doesn't mean that they're ineffective entirely or, or anything like that. Partly because, as we've mentioned, there is a place for each of these and many other arguments within pro-life conversations, just within a greater context. And so we have the policy at CCBR, Peter, that when we're out doing activism, whether it's one of our choice chain displays on a street corner, on a campus or at a doorstep, that we don't jump into somebody else's conversation unless they absolutely unless they invite us in 
or unless they say something absolutely wrong. And the reason for that is because we don't always see the roadmap that that person is using. And so you might hear somebody use an argument and you say, well, that doesn't encapsulate everything that could be said in one moment, but they might have a vision for that conversation. They might be intentionally laying groundwork that they will be able to use later in the conversation. And so just out of respect to your fellow pro-lifers and whatnot, make sure that you are giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're acting charitably towards the feedback even that you're giving to them. Um, even if you're applying these exact lessons that we have given, try to do so charitably. Try to do so in a spirit of empowerment and encouragement rather than in a spirit of critique, I think. And, and hopefully that isn't too kumbaya for our audience. But I, I think it, it should be said that, that we are all in this together and we never, we, we just can't afford to be pushing people out of the movement because they have used an incomplete argument for some time or whatever, that we need to be um, constructively building each other up. And that includes you and I, Peter, I've learned a ton from you, not only through this program, but through our work together. Um, and, and I've learned from all other people on, on staff and from other organizations, let's not be too quick to judgment before we condemn other people and the ministries that they're doing. But that does mean that we can't critique and evaluate and question as we go. I know that's really vague. Hopefully that makes sense to you, our listeners. Um, but yes, absolutely send along whatever your thoughts and feedback are to us and help us help you have better conversations about abortion. Beautiful. If you're listening on your podcast catcher, go hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, please do the same thing as well. That certainly helps the algorithms. If you have an opportunity to, to make a comment, to rate the show, please do that as well, because that helps us reach more people. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you tune in again next time. Mm -hmm.